Thank you for pressing play on episode 89 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and for this episode, I spoke with Matt Anderson, bassist of the band The Great Affairs. We featured a lot of the members of the band on this podcast over the years. Matt might be the last member to be featured, but he's certainly not the least. He's got a lot of cool stories from his background in Paducah to scene shows in the Midwest and also performing a lot of cool shows as part of The Great Affairs. So I want to send a big shout out to those guys, to Matt for being on the episode, to Rizzo for editing the episode, and also thanks to you for pressing play on this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And cue music. I don't know how many of you have heard, but there's a flesh-eating virus going around. Yeah, it's called music. I guess to start off, you said earlier today you were working production at a venue uh, in the area. What venues do you work at in uh, the Nashville area? Well, I started out working at like arena shows for a uh, for a crew company in town. And actually, the first show I ever worked was a uh, Cirque du Soleil, which was a massive production. I was walking into that completely green. I had no idea what I was doing. Just kind of kind of stuck with it over the years, and I took a little bit of a break from it, but I've been working here at Cannery Ballroom, the Mercy Lounge Complex, which has, we have three venues in there. I've been there about, uh, roughly about five and a half years, uh, and then about two, three years ago, I uh, started doing some work at Basement East, just on the other side of the river, which is now a Live Nation venue, and they've been getting a ton of stuff in there as well. You know, everything you can imagine. So uh, from people on the way up to people on the way down. <laughs> so it's a, both of them are really cool. I, I like doing the, the kind of the club scene a whole lot better. It's the productions are a little bit smaller, but it's, it's, you get to work with a lot smaller crews. So you get to be a little more, a little more personable with everybody. It's not just a big cattle call where you have like a hundred crew people running all over the place in an arena. <laughs> Well, what'd you do at the Cirque du Soleil? They didn't have you hanging on the wires or uh, trapeze or something. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> heights, and, heights and I do not agree with one another. I have two things. I'm not a fan of heights and I'm not a fan of water where I can't see the bottom. So you won't see me in a trapeze doing any kind of rigging for a show and you won't see me in a lake. I made the mistake, actually, one of the early shows I did. I was, I, I was an audio. I've always been an audio guy. I can fake my way through setting up a lighting rig, but I know next to nothing about it. But I was working a show, and they go, who here wants to work audio? And I stuck my hand up. Well, I missed the earlier thing they had said when I wasn't in the room that said, by the way, if anyone, if you want to work audio, if you're afraid of heights, you probably shouldn't take it because <laughs> oh, this show was in the round. It was for New Year's with Bass Nectar. And we had to take all the audio distro racks up into the catwalks and drop the lines from the catwalks for all the PA. <laughs> so for about the first 30 minutes I was up there, I think I left some finger marks in the railings on the, uh, the catwalk. It, it was not a very fun first experience, but uh, luckily I've kept my attention since then. I have not made that same mistake twice. <laughs> Oh man, my hands are getting sweaty thinking about that because I don't yeah, like heights was, either. <laughs> it was, oh yeah, it was, it was not fun. And I looked out, and some of the rigging guys, those guys are just nuts. And some of them are walking the uh, the beams in the arena. I think it's a ninety five foot drop from the beams to the floor, and they're just out there walking it without being tied in, like it's no big deal. And I'm just like, 
you you guys are you guys are nuts. So I I tend to keep on the ground. So you kind of worked your way up though, and you said that after that you've been doing this cannery ballroom in the basement east. Isn't isn't the cannery where you guys played a show back in January? We played we played in Mercy Lounge, which is the middle size room. They've got yeah, we have three venues in there. We have one called High Watt that's about uh, 225, 250 capacity. Mercy's about 550, and Cannery Ballroom's about 1100. But yeah, we did the the middle room. We did Mercy back in January with our buddies in the Eastside Gamblers, which is Tony Higby's band who plays for Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. And we've we've known those guys for a long time. Played numerous shows with them. Uh, great band, good dudes, and one of the loudest live bands I've ever shared a bill with. Um, yeah, like I saw you guys, you guys opened up for him in a keeper. It wasn't the Gamblers, but that was the. Oh, show. the one over at uh, the Cowan at yeah. Top Golf. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a fun show because we uh, we walked out and and the place was it was sold out, and they had that huge video wall behind us and had our logo up there. It looked like we had a massive arena sized backdrop behind us. It did. Yeah, that looked like it looked badass. I like that Denny has used that for the posters now for your uh, show. Yeah, when he, when he puts a poster together, a promo poster, he'll send a few options over. And I saw that picture. I was like, oh, yeah, use that one. I actually had a couple of guys at Cannery ask me. They're like, man, you guys are nuts. What the heck are you doing buying a banner for one show? I was like, that's, that's not what it was. I should have probably let the ruse go a little bit longer just to see what they would say. But I just <laughs> I couldn't lie to them. <laughs> We got that Kiefer money now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got the key. We got that Kiefer support slot money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, if you know anything about support slots, there's not a lot of money in it. <laughs> so, what do you do with um, the basement East? Then you said you started working with them. Do you still do audio? A little bit helping out with the audio and uh, stagehand work as well. I haven't been doing as much front of house. I used to do quite a bit of that. Not at these venues. I kind of stuck with more, more the stage production, stage stage hand side of it on that. Just because the schedule is flexible for us to be able to still rehearse, write, be in the studio, still go on the road. But, you know, that's that's something I've, I've been doing a little bit more. I also took over managing an event space uh, here in town. Oh, cool. They have a PA and a, a live rig in there. And we've had a few shows in there since things have started opening back up. So it's it's nice to be able to get back behind a board again. And the owner he was a touring bass player for a long time. He played for Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, I'm trying to think Ray Stevens, uh, you know, a lot of these old country and R and B guys and things. And he still performs even in his, uh, in his mid seventies. He, he tells me 74. I don't know. We, uh, I've looked him up on the internet. I don't, I, I don't know exactly how old he is, but I'm going to trust him, but I, I'm a little skeptical, but he, uh, <laughs> even at the, even older, he still does shows. And uh, it's nice to be able to get out and, and do sound for things like that. But yeah, it's it's a thing I've missed for a while, but starting to get back into it and get my chops up again. I guess that's something too, where you said like with it being a Live Nation venue, it's probably good for uh, the area then to have uh, shows uh, coming back too, right? Oh yeah. I mean, Basement East, I know when I was over here today, I looked or earlier today, I looked at the calendar and they are they are slammed. And what's great with them, they have a deal with, they're kind of like a proving ground for a lot of new artists coming up that Live Nation has started, just started promoting. So it's it's kind of cool. You get to see a lot of artists before they really take off. And actually, I worked a show last week for an artist uh, or a band called Wet Leg. 
out of the UK. I I was not familiar with him, but I walked into rehearsal and asked the guys there heard that. Did he goes, oh yeah, man, I love that record. So I, I checked some of it out, and uh, it was some really really cool stuff. So it's nice to be able to to get some of those artists before they really blow up. Um, have you had any that like you've been really really excited to work? Like told them like, hey, like I want to work this uh, show. Any that stand out like that? Yeah, I actually, if I see anything coming through, you know, I just all I have to say is, hey, can I jump on this one? I've worked a couple of John Five shows, the guitar player from Rob Zombie, which I normally am not a huge instrumental show fan, but that guy does such a wide array of stuff that it's a spectacle. You have to see it. And it's also one of those you have to remind yourself, normal people don't play music like that. I mean, the guy is just <laughs> on a completely different level from everybody else. And, and, you know, to be known as Rob Zombie's guitar playing that, you know, you don't exactly have to be Yngwie to pull off a lot of that stuff. But that guy is incredible. I've worked a few of those uh, or a couple of those. American Aquarium, which uh, one of my buddies is the uh, pedal steel player for that. Oh. Um, worked a couple of those shows. And those those guys are always great, which I'm, I'm super proud of them. They I saw them about it. I guess it was back this past summer. They played uh, Basement East, you know, which is about 700 capacity room. And they just announced this last record's done so well for them. They just announced they're headlining the Ryman. So that's oh, for oh, anyone in Americana or country music. That is like a pinnacle gig right there. Oh, even in any genre, like it seems like that's like it's like one of the places to play just because the history. Oh, yeah. And they used to be extremely particular about who played there. But I just found it weird. I, I had to do a double take. This past Saturday, they had Ministry play there, <laughs> and I when I when I read that advertisement, I seriously did a double take. I was like, "Wait, Ministry, Melvins, and Corrosion of Conformity are playing the Ryman." I, I, I was for sure. I was a hundred percent sure that was a typo <laughs> <laughs> or a fever dream or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to go see it. We were in the. We were in the studio working on the next uh, Great Affairs album. That's my little plug yeah. for the upcoming album. Actually, I was going to ask you something else, but um, since you already yeah. mentioned that, like, how's that going? Like, is that um, just the first, I guess, round of recordings? Like, what kind of tracks did you guys do? Yeah, we uh, we actually we got in there and we just got in a zone and man, it went great. We loaded in, I guess, around Friday night or so. And normally, Kenny will load in. We'll get you know drum sounds and such and I wasn't there for it, but tell me after they were like, well, let's just go ahead and track something. And he knocked out two drum tracks Friday night and came in and knocked out five more on Saturday. Uh, I got a couple of bass tracks down and they're uh, Denny and, and Rizzo are going to start on guitars this week. And it's, it's actually coming together very, very quickly. The sounds on it are, are incredible. Yeah. I'm looking forward to being able to share with everybody. I think this one's going to be, you know, I know everyone always says, Oh, this is going to be our best album yet. But I mean, just hearing the way we're playing, it's it's like we got a little more oomph in our step on this one. I don't know. The songs are great. Uh, the tones are great so far. The performances we have have been killer. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this one coming out. You guys even had that the times I saw you guys last year. That was like, there's like a little something different. Like, I don't know, like you said, like a oomph or something, or it's like punched up. Yeah, and... I don't know. It's sometimes you just, you know, you know, we've had a, we've had a personnel change and, and things like that. And 
you know, that's not knocking, you know, our past or anything like that. But sometimes you, you know, you put something a little new in the mix and it kind of, it, it changes stuff. And sometimes that gives you a little bit of a, little bit of a kick. And, you know, Corey's a, a fantastic guitar player. He's a great hang on the road. And he just, I don't know, it, it's, he's brought in some really cool parts over songs that we'll start working in, on in rehearsal and he'll go home with it and he'll track something in logic. And within uh, less than a day, he'll be emailing us going, Hey, what do you think of this as an idea on a track? And he's got a whole part written out. Oh, wow. Cool. So, and that's, you know, that really gives you a kind of a push when you see someone who's that enthusiastic about it and willing to go that extra mile. It really, I think, I know it lights a fire under me and saying, well, if he's, you know, putting this much energy into it, well, then I, I better step it up. Is that how, um, too, I've always wondered, is that how it goes with recording like songs? Like it starts with the drums and then it kind of everything builds off that? It really just depends. Um, I actually, my first gig here before I got into doing production, I worked at a studio for three years on staff. Uh, I was at Sound Kitchen down in Franklin. And it really just depends. Some albums, you know, bands would come in and they'd have like demos and they would cut the drums and maybe have everyone play just to try and get a vibe or sometimes they just have a guitar track pre-recorded and they would, you know, Mm -hmm. get certain parts, maybe the bass and the drums or whatever. But almost every major label country session I ever worked, it was the full band sitting in the room and they would cut the song right there. It it was really interesting. I mean, those guys, those A-list session players are on, they're on a different plane. They, they come in, a lot of times they haven't even heard the songs. The band leader for the session, they'll play the demo. He'll sit down and write the chart out by ear. Everyone will look at it, they'll kind of go over a part, and they'll go in and they'll count it off and, and hit it. And a lot of times it was maybe two takes. And then someone would go, okay, I need to punch this one bar here or this one section here. And within an hour and a half, that song's done and ready to you know, get the vocals on it and then go to mix. It's, it's insane how fast they work. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's on, you know, the side we're coming from, we've, we've done it a bunch of different ways. Actually, we've done things where we were all in a room together. There were other times where it was just Kenny and I getting, getting bass and drums. There've been times where it's just Kenny, the last record, especially when COVID hit, we were kind of all over the place because a lot of times we had a lot of the drum tracks done, but you know, we're all in different places. So we're cutting, you know, this track at this house, this person's home studio, or this one at my house, or this one at Denny's place. And then we're just shuffling files all over the place. That's one thing I will say about technology. It has afforded you the ability to do that. And, and it's made recording, it's made it a lot easier, a lot more affordable. (laughs) I guess, yeah, that worked out with technology and stuff too, because all those artists making like all those major label albums that have been coming out the last year or two, if it wasn't for like email and home studios, like I guess what's that? All the musicians, they wouldn't have had anything to do, right? Cause yeah. You'd be surprised how many like even major label albums you you hear that they didn't even do in a studio. I think it was the uh that first Billie Eilish record. It was her and her brother in a bedroom, the entire album. Oh, and oh, wow. I, I mean, they, they, cause they were, you know, they're using a lot of loops and they tracked it all, you know, at home. And it's, I mean, it's crazy how, how great of a product you can now get on your own. Hmm. Or I can even do a podcast. I just bought a microphone Ex- at Best Buy. Exactly. So. <laughs> See, 
now at least this time hopefully the phone's working i won't sound like what was it, the probe droid from empire strikes oh, back yeah. <laughs> yeah. um we won't go there that's another story for another yeah that's another episode. story well that that's for part two we'll, yeah. we'll keep the listener in suspense yeah so you've been in the great affairs now um so this is your uh second time in the band right you you rejoined in uh 2015 but you were there at the start right uh, yeah, well. I started it with Denny, and actually, I remember the first time we kind of came up with the idea, Denny and Pat and I met for Mexican food, because it, pretty much I could eat Mexican food any day of the week, so <laughs> that's how they conned me into the meeting the first time, but uh, no, we, we sat down, and they kind of you know approached me about the idea of doing it, and I heard some of the tunes, I was like, yeah, this, this would be really cool, and we put an ad out on Craigslist when that was still a place where you could find people. And we had uh, Tim Good answer, and that was that was the original lineup with Lee Quorum on as kind of an auxiliary guy. And uh, I guess yeah, we were together with that one about two years, and then I went and did another band and put out an album with that band, and then you know they did Former again for a little while. Then Kenny came into the mix, and it kind of morphed into Great Affairs again. And then yeah, around 2015, they they said, hey, you know, would you be interested in coming back? And I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. And I know Kenny and I have always hit it off. I subbed even when Henry was in the band, I subbed a couple of gigs for them when he had sometimes he couldn't make it. And and Kenny and I just kind of hit it off his rhythm section. And you know, he's he's real easy going. He and I have a pretty similar personality and just able to lock in really well. And they're you know, they're good, they're good dudes. I've been back for almost seven years now and we're we're still having fun doing it. <laughs> And we haven't killed each other yet, so that's probably a good thing. But, uh, you know, it's tough to find a group of people that you can write music and play music with and tour with and everyone gets along. That's 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 almost a lightning in a bottle kind of thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. Have you had any uh, interesting shows that you've played um, with the guys? Because uh, you've... You guys have played like all over, right? Down in the south, you played an amusement park. You played up here. Yeah, the amusement park was interesting. Uh, I'll leave, <laughs> I'll say interesting. I think that was one of the hottest shows I've ever played. It was they were hitting like I want to say at one time 105 heat index, and they're cutting our sets Gosh. to 10 minutes because of the heat. So we're walking out. Hey, we're the Great Affairs. Hey, see you later. We'll see you next set. You know, it felt like that. We get like maybe two songs in and we're done. Yeah, that one was interesting. But I mean, we've gotten to play some really great shows. The uh, the Kiefer show that you came to at the Cowan was was awesome. That one was great. We've done a couple of shows with uh, Jack Russell from Great White. His band was really cool uh, to work with. You know, we've we've done those rock and skulls. Oh, before I forget, that reminds me, the most and I, I think you were there at this one too, I believe. If you're looking for interesting shows, the Corey Feldman experience we had, <laughs> I don't think anything can ever top that. It was like it was like watching a train wreck. You know, you just you couldn't look away. You wanted to, you knew it was gonna be bad, but I I actually had some some people say, Could you please use Facebook Live during this? So I did, and I actually had people commenting, going, "Is this for real, or is this a joke?" And I'm like, "No, this is 100% legit real." <laughs> and I was standing at the front of the stage with our buddy Bob Long, who you're very familiar with, and I 
said something to him and I had my hand up in the air. Next thing I know, Corey Feldman's fist bumping me. And ever since that day, Bob Long has never let me live it down. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I've tried to like block out that show. It seems like, but it seems like a blur, but. Well, his, you know, he did that section where he did songs from his films and he did the Cindy Lauper song from the Goonies. The Goonies are good enough. And his, I believe it was his wife who was in the band that sang it. And that's not, first of all, not an easy song to sing to begin with. And, oh my gosh, I, I normally don't bag on other bands or musicians publicly, but I'll straight up say that was atrocious. But it's one of those things we have something to talk about and a story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it something too, like, I remember there was a huge inflatable thing like propped up on the wall. Like they tried to have a video screen, but it wasn't a video screen. Was it like an inflatable swimming pool? Yeah, it was like an inflatable thing they were going to project. I think it was like footage from his movies. But (laughs) the girl who comes in and I don't know if she she was like the the tour manager or something. She goes, well, we have this big screen and it's going to blow up. And and they're going, well, I don't know if it's going to fit in here. She goes. We'll just see if you try. I mean, we don't need you to move the ceiling or anything. And I was like, I, I'm standing back watching this from a distance. I'm like, are you are you being serious or are you trying to be sarcastic to be funny? But I think she was actually being serious when she said that. So, <laughs> but not only that, they had that huge inflatable. It covered one side of the PA completely. So anyone standing on the left side looking at the stage couldn't hear a thing going on. Yeah. And I was on that side, basically like in front of that inflatable thing. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was a very interesting year. Oh, and he showed up late because someone stole his hoverboard at the previous show. So he showed up two hours late and I remember made everyone stand out in the rain yeah, while he yeah. sound checked. So people were a little on the, uh, aggravated side before they even got in the door. Yeah. I think we need to explain that too, for people that who aren't familiar or weren't there. It was like his, his band uh, members, it was Corey Feldman and his band members were all angels, right? Angels. They were were all girls dressed as angels. And you can look at this up online. He, it was a thing where like they all lived in the same house together and he made them sign something that they would be vegetarian and they would stay there. And it was all the, it was really, really weird. Oh, weird. Weird. But, uh, yeah, you can look it up. It's, it's all online. So if Corey Feldman's listening, now oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, well, it makes for a good story, though. It oh, it definitely makes for a good story. That's one of those when I tell people they've asked who do you open for, and I say Corey Feldman, they go, "Oh wait, oh that's cool. Oh wait, what?" <laughs> I actually thought you were going to say when you said like rock and school, you were going to say like loudness, but then you pulled out the Corey Feldman card. Yeah, no, the loudness was cool. All right, when we opened for loudness, that was awesome, and those guys. In my opinion, they were the best band on the bill that day. They were just, God, they came out and were freaking great. Other than you guys. Okay. Well, of course. I yeah. mean, that's a given. But <laughs> So that, that was the one where, where uh, they got ready to play, and Kenny goes, I'll be back. And I look up, and he's sitting on the side of the stage watching them. Oh, cool. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was that was a fun day. Is that when your first show's back, is coming back in the band, I think? Yeah, I think it was like my, that would have been probably my second or third show back. Trying to think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like second or third show back. So it was still a little bit of trial by fire, but they put us on as the first band of the the day that year. 
Well, speaking of that, Joe, too, I saw you guys like a couple of weeks later in uh, Paducah and then found out that that was like your hometown, right? Born and raised in Paducah, Kentucky. It was, yeah, it was a nice place to grow up. But uh, after 18 years, I had to go elsewhere. But yeah, it was, it's a cool little town. I believe that was that at uh, I think it was Fat, Fat Mo's. Yeah. Fat Mo's. Yes. We, uh, you missed the time, the next, I think it was the next time we played there. You know, they had this big plate glass window behind us that looked out onto the street. And yeah. we're playing all of a sudden, we see all these blue flashing lights throughout the room. We're like, where's the light show coming from? We turn around <laughs> and the bar, because, you know, you had the live room with the bands and separated by a wall was the bar area. Well, apparently there was a massive brawl in the bar area that spilled out onto the street. And the police had all surrounded everyone. There's this big brawl going on down the street behind us while we're playing. So uh, that was probably, I think that was probably our last show there. Everybody, like you probably thought everybody was like cheering for you, but they're cheering for. Um, yeah, exactly. The street or something. <laughs> I was just waiting for someone to get smacked into the window and come through it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, growing up in like Paducah, was there any uh, shows or any. Is there like any uh, venues there that you uh, saw any shows? Not really. If you wanted to, to go like big shows, usually you go to either Nashville or St. Louis. There was a few uh, in Carbondale, Illinois, which is right there by Marion, where we play about an hour north. Uh, there's yeah. Southern Illinois University, and I I saw a few bands there growing up. Actually, my the second show I ever saw was uh, Huey Lewis and the News at Southern Illinois University. So, you know, they get a few things like that. I saw like Nine Inch Nails there, Def Leppard there once, I believe. But other than that, in in town, I mean, you know, we had local bands that we would put on shows in high school. Uh, we had a music store there called Unga Bunga Music, which is actually, I found out later, was half owned by John Brown, whose place we play in Marion, John Brown's on the square. Oh, and, small world. Yeah, I actually figured out that he sold me my first real bass when I was in high school. And, oh, but they had rented out this old dual movie theater that had a, you know, one theater downstairs and then they had another one upstairs and they went upstairs and took the theater seats out and built this massive stage and had this huge PA that would blow you out of the back of the room and, you know, big lighting rig. And they called it the Unga Batorium. <laughs> 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 so I saw a few shows there. I never got to play there though. The I think the high, the biggest place I ever got to play in Paducah was the uh in high school growing up was the Knights of Columbus. Was the Unga Batorium was that just yeah, like local bands and stuff playing? Yeah, they did a lot of local bands. I believe they brought through uh a few nationals, but it's god, that's been so long ago. Uh I remember there was what were some of the local bands you had? Ozone Kite was one that they had. There was United Steelworkers. A friend of mine actually got injured at the pit of United Steelworkers. That's his uh, claim to fame. It sounds like a union or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, I, I played in bands growing up and everything. We thought we were, you know, amazing and all that. Looking back on, I still have the recordings and, gosh, some of those should never see the light of day. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was cool growing up in a smaller town I really didn't start playing a ton until I moved to Lexington when I went to college and played in a few bands in Lexington and then moved here and uh, eventually met the guys and they've been stuck with me ever since. <laughs> so what did make you pick up a bass? Like my dad was a musician actually growing up. He, he made his way through college, you know, playing in bands. That's how he played his tuition. And uh, 
there was a, a band that some my buddies had and I'd been goofing around on guitar a little bit here and there and they go well we need a bass player and I was like well I really haven't ever played bass and they were like yeah well your dad has a bass just pick it up and figure it out so they you know they showed me a couple of things and from there I just kind of trial and error I should have probably taken some lessons earlier on but a lot of it was just trial and error and eventually you know just kind of taught myself a little bit here and then the the biggest thing was getting in and playing with guys that were better than I was that could show me things and really kind of, you know, made me start learning how to listen to other players and, and just picking up on little things here and a lot of, a lot of woodshedding and a lot of listening to different types of music. I think they've said a lot of people are like self-taught though, right? A lot of the famous musicians. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, I know I can't read music. I used to be able to a little bit, but you know, I know enough basic theory to get around, I used to be better at a lot of that stuff, but a lot of guys that I've played with are for the most part, you know, they're self-taught. They maybe had some lessons here when they were starting out and then eventually you just kind of, kind of find your own voice. And that, I think that's what playing out helps you more than anything. You can sit there and, and study theory books and, you know, practice scales and do that all day long. But I, I really think that jumping into bands and playing, especially playing shows, it, it gets you, it makes you tighter as a musician. It makes you better. I know when we're out playing all the time, it just becomes automatic for us when we're playing those shows. It's one of those things you just kind of, kind of get in that zone. I guess the same thing with a job too. You can read, you can study, but I guess when you're out there in the element, that's where you're going to like learn best. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much, it's that trial by fire thing. So we, you know, there've been times when we're like, well, should we play this song tonight? Should we do this? Well, we haven't rehearsed that much. I'm like, well, might as well see how it goes. If people hate it, I guess we won't ever play it again. <laughs> uh, do you have any influences on bass or um, did you have any uh, musical influences? I really started out like the first stuff I remember, you know, my dad was a, was a, like a blues player and R&B like Ray Charles and BB King and that kind of stuff. So that was like the earliest stuff i remember hearing and then you know my sister i have a sister who's eight years older than i am and when mtv first started that she was probably around like i don't know 13 14 at the time so that's what was on you know all the time at the house and i uh i i get ripped on all the time by this by by the guys but one of the first artists i ever got into was adamant i thought it was you know five six years old i thought that was so freaking cool and I still go see him live and I, I will not. <laughs> yeah. I'll straight up admit that. But you know, then when I, when I got older, I really started getting into rock and roll and a lot of the, you know, that was when the 80s stuff was big. Uh, I was never a fan of the spandex though. I liked the music, but the fashion left a little bit to be desired in my opinion. <laughs> you know, I was also, you know, obviously a big kiss fan. I think just about any rock musician, you know, has been a fan of kiss at one time or the other. And then eventually I got into like the Black Crows and and a lot of Rush stuff, big King's X fan, stuff like that. I just inundated myself with everything I could find. And, you know, at that time also FM radio dictated a lot of, you know, what was popular. So in a small town, you just, I read a lot in magazines to find out about stuff that wasn't on the radio. And if I saw some, a band, I was like, oh, they look kind of cool. I'll, I'll check that out. A lot of it was just being willing to listen to things and, find things you like oh uh, yeah you actually mentioned king's x and it's kind of funny because it seems like everybody 
um, that I talked to lately, everybody mentions King's X. So I'm finally getting on board with that. Yeah, Rizzo and I have had tickets to the same show here in town. It will be almost, by the time it happens, it will be like two and a half, three years that we've had the tickets. Because the first time it was supposed to happen and then COVID hit, so they canceled the show. And then they had it rescheduled and COVID was still going on. So they canceled it again and moved it another year. So I think it's November this year. We'll see if it still happens. So please, Doug, Ty, and Jerry, hang in there for just a few more months. That's all I need. I had the same thing, too, with like Isbell uh, tickets for a show because it was supposed to be like right around the start of the pandemic. And then they thought like, well, we'll push it out to the next year just as like a, a date to have on the calendar, you know. And then that rolled around and it's still had the mask mandates in effect. So it was like, I think it was just, they didn't want to, I don't know if they wanted to give out refunds or something. So they just kept pushing it out far enough. Well, I've had the same thing with that Motley Crue stadium tour. Yeah. And I bought, got those tickets for the national date when they went on sale with a, with a couple of friends of mine, you know, it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And uh, I told when she, uh, it's uh, one of my friends works for a ticketing agency. We've been going to shows together for years both years I got the chance to say, I'm really upset. She goes, why? I said, yet another summer where I can't hear Cece pick up that guitar and talk to me. Oh, and she was God. like, I'm hanging up the phone right now. I was like, I don't care. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> so did you get to see Isbell? Oh, um, yeah, I did. He played uh, at a ballpark, actually, like on the um, ball diamond. Yeah, he's phenomenal live. Yeah. After the, the shutdown, that was one of the... The first show back I saw was it was October 2020. There's a place south of here called the Caverns, uh, oh, yeah. where they actually it's an actual cave where they have shows inside. But this one they had a big mobile stage set up outside on the hillside, and everyone you walked in, you had to have a mask on. You had everyone had these little roped off areas you had to sit in that were all six feet apart from everyone else, and uh, even the band on stage they told them you you got to stay six feet apart. So. Isabel's look at, at Sadler Vaden going, Hey, buddy, good to see you. It's been too long. <laughs> it was, God, that show was incredible. He's, uh, did he have Amanda Shires with him, his wife? Uh, no. And actually, it was like 2013, the first time I saw him with Brent and uh, uh, Courtney. And it's like, that's the only time that he's had his wife with him. And I've seen him like four times since then. And she's, never oh, really? Yeah. She, uh, she was on this show and they did, uh, they did a version of Vampires that, God, that'll give you the chills with the two of them singing that together. Oh, wow. I don't know if she doesn't do any more shows because of their daughter. Um, you know, I didn't know if that was like, part of the reason. Yeah, I don't I don't know that. And it might have been one of those where because they did two nights back to back. And it was one of those, you know, who knows? It'd been so long. Maybe they were getting the itch for it. Yeah. But, you know, the thing about Isabel that gets me is Sadler Vaden's a phenomenal guitar player. But. Isbell's no slouch whatsoever, man. That guy's a monster guitar yeah. player too. And I'd really, I'd really like to see the two of them duel it out at one time. <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned, you mentioned the cave thing. Like what's that like playing in a cave? Yeah. I haven't actually seen a show there. I've been in, into oh, okay. it, but I know some people who've worked shows there, worked production there. And they said that the acoustics in it are incredible. Yeah. I thought that would be kind of weird too. they, that maybe with all the all the reverberation of the the rock that it would be just a nightmare but 
lot of people said it. I think the last show a buddy of mine worked there was Sound Tribe Sector Nine was there, and he said it sounded phenomenal. Oh wow! Are there any uh, places that you've had that? Like you've went to shows on your own where um, you've had kind of unique venues like that too. Um, trying to think here, I haven't. I mean, that's that's something right there that's just so you know such a unique thing. Not really a you know around here. Most of the places are pretty typical. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I know there as many shows as I've been to. I know there has to be something weird that i've seen somewhere <laughs> like i've always wanted to go to red rocks like probably no matter who it is i'd just like yeah. to see a show there i want to see one there my my mom has a place just about 45 minutes west of where red rocks is in colorado and she goes out there every summer and i try and go visit for a few days and that's one that's on my bucket list yeah. is to see red rocks I guess I've that's walked, the word I was looking for, like a bucket list. Yeah, yeah, I've been in the venue on the off season because it's you can just walk in there in the off season, and I've walked up and stood on the stage there, and it's very impressive to see. It really is. Yeah, it looks impressive just from photos. So I imagine standing there is even, even more of a experience. Yeah, and I've I've already started looking at the uh, this calendar for this season coming up, trying to trying to see if there's something I can finagle my way into. Have you ever been to any of those things in Tennessee? Like, what is it, Bonnaroo or any uh, festivals like that? I've never been to, never went to Bonnaroo. I uh, never got a chance to go to that. I did go to a Lollapalooza here in 90, that would have been 96, I think it was, outside of Knoxville. That's about the closest one I've been to. That was the year Metallica headlined it. And who else was on that? Uh, Soundgarden was on it. Rage Against the Machine was the mystery guest that day. Oh, cool. But I think when people walked in and saw their shirts at the merch table, they pretty much figured out who was there. But <laughs> that was pretty killer. Uh, I've been to a few like up in Kentucky. There was one called Louder Than Life that they do. Yeah. And I went to the the first year they did that. They had some, this great lineup on that one. I went because I had never seen Judas Priest. So I got to see Judas Priest with at least Glenn Tipton. K.K. Downing was already out of the band by that time, but that was also the year when I could not get away from Corn. Every bill I went to, every show I went to, it seemed like Corn was on the bill. <laughs> Which I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking them. I actually uh, like some of those records, but it was like it was like I walked into a Slipknot show. Hey, Corn's opening. Went to Mayhem. Hey, Corn is the direct support. Then I went to the, that Louder Life. Hey, Corn's direct support to Judas Priest. Was that 2016? Uh, that one would have been 20, 2014. Oh, okay. Because I had the same experience almost that with uh, Corn. I think it was like 2016. Because I saw them open up for uh, this Alice Cooper thing um, that I've went to a few years now with my uncle out in Phoenix where he has like a charity concert and Corn was there. But then prior oh, yeah, to that, yeah. they were in Peoria. And then I saw them on a tour with Slipknot too. So it seemed like they were always like opening or something too yeah i've had two experiences with that i had that year with corn and then 94 95 every show i went to typo negative was the opener oh wow well that was cool so we, to see them yeah that was pretty cool and the first time i walked in i had i had no idea who they were but peter Steele, you know he had this very very when i say very i mean extremely dry sense of humor 
and he's cracking jokes and people around him are looking weird. I'm like, oh, that's freaking funny. I don't care who you are. So I kind of became a fan off of that. And they were, they were always great live. That first time I saw him, it was such a weird bill. It was those guys, King's X and the John Karabi Motley Crue tour. Damn. So it was, it was kind of odd. And then I think there was like three or four shows after that. They were always the opener, but they were always great. So I got to give them credit for that. Wow. That is a pretty crazy lineup. So you saw the Motley Crue um, with Karabi, like with yeah. typo negative too. Yes. Yeah. Same bill. Damn. And it was, it was funny when typo negative, you know, here they are doing this dark kind of goth thing and the sun is still out while they're playing and it had rained. So there's, they're playing with the sun out and a big rainbow going across the venue. That <laughs> <laughs> just seems weird too, with like a really, really, really weird pairing. Cause they're like really like doomy. And yeah. Almost got that Sabbath vibe. And then you've got like Motley Crue. And then you said King's X, which is like, King's uh, like X. all those bands yeah. don't really fit. But yeah, it was, it was a really, I remember thinking that when I saw the bill, that it was a really weird lineup. And I was like, I had never seen any of them before. That was actually also the first Motley show I ever got a chance to see. And oh, damn. so I went and I remember that's when I could kind of see that the music sales for tickets were kind of turning a little bit because here Motley, you know, is coming off of Dr. Feelgood a few years earlier and they're one of the biggest bands in the world. And this show, I was at Starwood here in Nashville and they didn't even sell out the pavilion. <laughs> And I, I just looked around. I was like, oh, something's changing here. Yeah, because not to go too far off the rails, but didn't yeah. they even end up canceling that tour or canceling some shows? Yeah, they did not yeah, too was, long after. Because uh, as I recall, and don't quote me on this. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you are, but uh, I'm not 100% <laughs> positive on this. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that the way that tour did, you know, they went out there playing sheds. And as it went along, they just kind of kept downsizing and, I'm, I think they were down to like theaters by the end of the tour. And then they just cut the, pulled the plug on it. It's kind of disheartening because people, people do seem to have like a love for that. It's like a really underrated album. Yeah. I love that one. I think it sounds great. I think the songs are cool. A few years ago, I had a, another band with, uh, with a buddy of mine and we opened for Karabi at basement East the night he did a recording where he did the self-titled the whole way through. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. I had his son playing drums for him and we opened that show and it was man, he, he's such a nice guy. He, uh, every time he sees me, he doesn't remember my name, but he remembers my face. He's like, Hey buddy, you played in that band with Danilo. Right. And I was like, yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it something like his band too? It seems like, I think there's the one guy in that band that now is with like Gene Simmons and like Ace Fraley. And then there's another yeah. guy that's actually in the gamblers. I think. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Asbrock is the guitar player for yeah. Ace and for Gene. Uh, and he's, he's played for a bunch of people as well. Besides that, but, uh, I'm trying to think who else, uh, who would be in the, the gamblers other guy was Josh. Right? Oh, Josh Detroit. Yeah, yeah. He had that gig for a little while. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't, uh, I think he had decided to leave right before they did that recording. Uh, but actually that same band that opened for him, Josh Detroit was in that band with me. Oh, Oh wow. That so, is a small world kind of thing. Yeah. It's Nashville music scene is very incestuous. <laughs> it is kind of crazy though. Cause yeah, like all these people in like Nashville are all in other bands, but I think that that's cause like 
it's not like me where I go in every day and I work like a nine to five, right? You guys, if you've got like, if some of those artists, they've got a tour, then they've got to pick up another one, right? To pay the bills. That's kind of. Yeah. A lot of guys. uh, Right. Yeah. I know there are a lot of guys that independent, some guys on the big tours though, like if you're with, you know, with like an A-list tour, a lot of times those touring players will be on retainer and, you know, whether they're on, you know, on tour or not, they're getting a, a salary or a check or a paycheck or whatever. But a lot of the guys on the lower tours or, uh, you know, artists who can't afford to do that. Yeah. A lot of them are out here hustling for gigs or playing on Broadway, you know, during the week or whatever they've got to do to pay bills. So especially the way the past two years have gone, pretty much everybody I think is doing anything they can to keep the, keep the lights on. Oh, oh yeah. And speaking of that, that reminds me of something too. I guess something you said I had the little cartoony light bulb over my head was you mentioned the basement <laughs> East. Isn't that a venue that was hit by that tornado? Like right when the pandemic started too? It was, it yeah. was, I wasn't working that night, but the production manager, he, and uh, I believe it was the monitor engineer and a couple other guys were there and uh, said they heard this thing that sounded like a freight train bearing down on them. And they just ran for the basement. And oh, when they man. came out, I mean, that tornado went right through the middle of the building and took the roof off of it, everything. But what's really crazy, if you see the pictures, the roof and part of the front wall, a majority of the front wall is gone. But the roof supports are still there. And the PA and the lighting rig was still hanging in the ceiling. Oh, wow. So it took everything else away. The PA that's in there now is the same one that was there with the tornado. They just cleaned it up and it worked great. But it was really eerie to see that. But yeah, that street that it's on, Woodland Avenue, it just, the tornado just went right down the middle of it. And it it messed a lot of stuff up. Damn. Because yeah, that was crazy. Like March 2020, you guys had that and then yeah, the pandemic. So that's awesome that it um survived so it was yeah yeah and they uh they made some structural changes inside and kind of changed some of the some of the way the room was configured and opened it up a lot more for sight lines and stuff and it's it's an incredible venue inside i've never been there but there's another venue that i've heard about in nashville like exit in and i remember around that time too they were selling shirts online because obviously the venues weren't open and they were selling shirts to like I guess keep some money coming in. And I bought a shirt for that uh, venue. Oh yeah. My first band here in, in Nashville, Chris Cobb, who is now the owner of exit in, he uh, used to have a thing called golden squid promotions. And they did like a lot of uh, jam bands and stuff. My first band kind of fell somewhat into that genre. And he used to uh, promote some of our shows and let us open for some of his, his nationals he had coming through. And he uh, he's had exit in for a few years now, and that guy is a a champion for the local music scene. Man, he's he has done so much trying to save venues, especially independent venues, which are kind of unfortunately they're becoming less and less out there, which I hate to see. Which is one of the things I love about exit in. I've played there a few times. I've seen more shows there than I could even begin to count, and. I've had a ton of fun at that place. Probably some that was a little too much at the time, but uh, I paid for that the next day. But we've had a lot of, a lot of great shows there, and it's just it's a, such a cool room with such great history. I mean, anytime you've been in business for over fifty years, there's a lot of great history there. 
uh, yeah, I'd like to come down and like see like a show actually at one of those venues sometime. Because uh, I know I saw one at the Cowan, you guys playing there, but I've just heard about those venues. Seems yeah, like another thing me, on my bucket list too. Yeah, let me know what you want to see. I'll come on down. I'll take you to a show. Yeah. I'm going to be coming down um, in a week and a half with uh, Kelly. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're actually coming down and we're going to uh, Chattanooga. Oh, yeah. So If you get a chance in Chattanooga, go to the uh, the Tennessee Aquarium as well. Actually, I just my girlfriend and I went down a couple of weeks ago and went to that. I, I have this weird thing where I really like penguins. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just think penguins are really cool. <laughs> they have penguins there. All these like, you know, little five-year-old kids are up against the glass going, eh, and I'm like a, a borderline run up there chucking them out of the way going, it's my turn to see the penguins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance, go go check that out too. Chattanooga is a really fun town. You'll really enjoy it. It seems like a quick trip. Yeah, we're just coming down real quick and then a turning around, but uh, she's on spring break. That makes me remember uh, when I was in college, it was 97 I went to, uh, we were in Panama City for spring break, and the condo that my buddies and I had was right next door to uh, La Vila and Spinnaker, and I was actually in the crowd for an episode of Singled Out, if you remember that show. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say you were there for like WCW Nitro when they did No, but I was. (laughs) Funny story. We had it on in the room, I remember, and it was the episode where they flew the helicopters in. And Sting rappelled out of the helicopter into the ring. And we uh, we saw it coming before it happened because we heard the helicopters and looked out on the ocean. There they were flying in. Oh, so man. I can say I, I saw that. And I can also say the next night was when they had one of the MTV Lives. I never got to see, technically never got to see Stone Tool Pilots with Wyland, but they were playing next door. So I saw it from a very long way off. Um, but you could hear it, though. <laughs> I could hear right. it. I could hear it. So technically, I could probably say I saw Stone Temple Pilots with Wyland. I think that that CD or whatever, they put a CD of that in the recent like Tiny Music Deluxe really? thing. Really? Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. And I can say I saw that from a very long way away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so have you, see, have you seen um, Stone Temple Pilots like at all with like Chester or? Uh, actually, that, that year I went to Louder Than Life, they played with Chester that year and i thought they were really good i'm not a huge lincoln park fan but i thought chester was great with them the ep they put out with them i thought had some cool songs two and a half three years ago uh they did that tour it was stone Temple pilots with the new singer the cult and bush oh man i'm so jealous dude damn dude i wanted to see that so bad but they didn't hit uh, Chicago or St. Louis, and usually every tour that's doing those sheds either comes to one of those two. Yeah, that one was in Municipal Auditorium, which is the old arena here. It's just this giant circle, and it, I mean the sound is okay in there, but it's just got a really cool rock and roll vibe to it. And my friend and I were in the upper arena, and Bush opened the show. It was one of those tours where they all they switched the the rotation up every mm-hmm. night and played in a different order. And Bush opened, and during when they were ending the with Machine Head, they did this long version of it. And the singer, he uh, guy's name just went straight out of my head. Gavin Rossdale. Gavin Rossdale. God, put I put myself on the spot and couldn't remember it. He uh, <laughs> he disappeared, and then all of a sudden he appears running through the upper arena where we are, and he ran right through the row in front of us. 
And every girl I know was like, well, did you bag him up and bring him home for me? I'm like, last time I checked, that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that guy must sleep in a hyperbaric chamber, man. He has not aged a day. Dude, I swear, I was thinking the same thing because I saw those guys, they were up here in Peoria a few years ago. And like, he looks like he might be like a vampire or something. Yeah. Like, well, if I ever get a chance to ask him a question, my question would have to be, why, why did you cheat on Gwen Stefani? (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice something too when you've seen that guy? He seems like he like floats on stage too. I haven't noticed that, but now that you mention it, uh, yeah, he kind of does. He kind of seems does. like he, he just floats, does. like he doesn't walk side to side. Like all of a sudden, he's just like gliding or something. Because like, yeah, he, he's just like floating there. <laughs> One of these days, it's just going to be fog come out on the stage. All of a sudden, he's just going to appear out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm jealous. You got to see that because I've never seen the Colt, and I've always wanted to see them. I've seen them a couple of times. I saw them here at another venue here in town called Marathon Music Works which is a really big room. They expanded. And I, I want to say their capacity is over 2000 now. And I saw the cult there when they did a tour, they did electric the whole way through. Oh, cool. And yeah, that was a great show. The band was awesome. And then that tour, you know, they have John Tempesta playing drums for him. He was in white zombie and Rob zombies, original touring lineup. And they had Chris Weiss on bass with them. The first time I saw him, which I'm a, I'm a fan of that guy. That guy's an incredible player. Dude, he actually rode in my car one time. Really? <laughs> I'm just going to drop that just because I'm yeah. like, yeah. He was playing with um, Ace Fraley, and it was oh, Ace yeah. Fraley yeah. and Richie Scarlett and that Scott Coogan or something. And I had to pick him up. I was like a band runner that day. At the venue, there really wasn't a backstage, so I drove him to this hotel so they could shower and then drove him back. But I was like, like I was kind of in awe I'm like, that guy's in the cult. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. He uh, was that the tour with, was it Ace, Lita Ford, and Enough's Enough? It could have been around that time, but this was just like a one-off thing. They were playing. It was like this barn, basically. It was like the um, heart of Illinois Fair here in Peoria. Oh yeah, okay. I've I've heard many stories about that from uh from Denny and Pat about yeah. <laughs> shows they saw there. I've never personally attended the Heart of Illinois Fair, but. From what I hear, it's a very interesting affair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it was that Johnny Solinger guy. They had Skid Row playing the year before, and he actually said it was uh, the state fair. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. I remember hearing about that. I saw that lineup of Skid Row one time here. It was LA Guns and Skid Row at the Wild Horse downtown. And in the middle of Skid Row's set, this very uncomfortable moment happened when they quite inebriated Jeff Labar from Cinderella, just walked on stage and brought a drink to Johnny Solinger. And Johnny's like, hey, everyone, look, it's Jeff Labar. And it just got real awkward for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so he just wandered out and just gave him a drink and then just wandered out and took just, him a drink and then, and then just, just wandered off into the night after that. <laughs> what? I actually have a picture of myself and I with uh, Jeff Labar at uh, it was at Wild Horse Queen Drake played there. It's probably around like 2011 or something, and he was there. And I someone just goes, "Hey, Matt's a big Cinderella fan. Here, Jeff, take a picture with him." So next thing, I'm being pushed into this picture with Jeff Labar. And one of the people I went, this girl looks at him and goes, 
because he had this very interesting multicolor hair perm kind of thing going on. And she just looks at him and goes, is that your real hair? And I'm looking, I'm like, why would you ask him that? That just, that's, do you realize that's insulting? Right over everyone's head, but eh, whatever, it wasn't me. (laughs) Well, thanks for chatting with me, Matt. But before we wrap it up, do you remember uh, what your first uh, CD was that you purchased? The first one I ever got, actually, it was a twofer on that day. It was U2's the live album from Red Rocks under a blood red sky and kick by NXS. Oh, nice. So I, that was where a couple of the first two like rock bands I really got into. And I've been a diehard U2 fan ever since. Was there like a record store in up uh, or did you have to go to like a Walmart or Kmart? Uh, or? No, we still had, we actually had record stores at the mall. Uh, you had, uh, Let's see, Camelot Music, which I think became, it's now FYE. I think that company's still in existence. Uh, but we had Camelot Music and Disc Jockey. Those were the, the two that you got to go to. Yeah, that was, that was pretty much the music, music mecca. Uh, we had at uh, one time, there was a Sam Goody in our mall and the Musicland. There's actually two music stores. I remember, the, I remember Sam Goody in Musicland. And I'm trying to think there was another one that, when I was in Nashville, I think it was Turtle Music or Turtles Music or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I remember there used to be a ton of those chains. Now, growing up there, did you ever go to uh, co-op music before you met Denny? No, I actually uh, didn't. Uh, there was a co-op in East Peoria, like where I lived. And I guess that was owned by somebody else because I guess there were all these, like, I think it was something like they were franchises where like Bob owned a co-op and then some guy owned the original one out of like the quad cities in Moline. And so there was all these different co-ops in the area. I remember Denny talked about that, that he, uh, that it was, it was a franchise that he actually had to, had to franchise out the name on it. So, or buy into the franchise, I guess. So, yeah, and I think he's, is he the only co-op left in the area? Yeah, because the other ones are now like they're co-op shops or something. Co-op shop, sell I got more you. like paraphernalia and like, I don't know, all this other stuff. They're not really about the music anymore. But uh, I got you. I don't know well, if you ever if- went to Shandy's when you were up here. That was Bob's store out in Canton. That was the first time I had went to one of his stores. Yeah, I, um, I actually went to, I've been to Shandy's a few times. Unfortunately, I always walked out of there with way less money than I had walking in. Oh yeah, because God, man, that guy had that guy had so much cool stuff there, and I'd I'd always walk out with a ton of stuff, and he has just about anything you could think of. Yeah, there was stuff uh, I never even knew that existed in there, and I'd see something else the next time. I think I never spent less than a hundred dollars every time. Oh, that was yeah, easily up there. And when I heard about his uh, the the accident that happened at his store. Every time we're in the air, I'm like, hey, is Bob open the store up again? Hey, is Bob's store going again? Hey, can we go to Bob's store? <laughs> and so I keep telling Bob every time I see him, I'm like, man, you got to find a way to open the store. I need to get my fix. I think he's actually going to. He's been doing garage sales lately every couple months or, you know, when the weather's nice. But now I think he's got some little building on his property. He's oh, gonna great. Turn that great. Into an actual store. Yeah, I was. One of the first times I was in his store ever, I wasn't aware he had a, an in-store cat. <laughs> and so I'm flipping through the CD racks. I'm like, eh, and all of a sudden I flip one and there's two eyes staring at me. 
And I about did a backflip. It scared me so bad. I about backed over one of the display racks. But ever since then, I was like, okay, mental note to self, there's a cat in here. <laughs> I wish he'd open up a store, man. I miss going out there. Yeah, it. I always like hanging out with Bob. You know, he's even going to his store just to, you know, just talk with him. And, and he had so much cool stuff around the walls of all autograph stuff and bands that he had he had worked with and we actually opened for la guns in canton one time i'm trying to think when that was it was like 2014 i think it was and i think bob might have been bob was somehow involved with that it seems like almost all the shows up there that bob's involved somehow with the organizing of the show and anytime i go oh if we're gonna go do this who's involved with it? and they go oh well bob will be there i'm like we're golden i don't have a thing to worry about yeah he does like everything if he's not like selling merch he's doing something like backstage or he's i don't know he does everything he's a he's a jack of all trades yeah yeah and that's when he just left the gym from training mma fighters and then he's out taking care of the many animals on his farm so yeah. i think he does he's got all the bases covered yeah <laughs> uh, i got one small other little question for you too all right kind of almost like i was going to do like a lightning round thing like a first cd what was your first um, since it's coming up, what was your first WrestleMania that you watched? Uh, first WrestleMania that I, that I watched live yeah. would have been with my buddies in college. That was WrestleMania 15, oh, 15? which was the, uh, I believe that would have been the main event was Stone Cold Brock. Yeah. Yes. And that was the year after the, the year after the Mike Tyson involvement in the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, uh, those were like I saw a few like religiously at like my friend's house, but I miss 14 and 15. And I was so like pissed off. I used to God, man, my buddies and I in college would get together and watch all that stuff. People go, why do you watch this? You know, it's fake, don't you? I go, it's not fake. It's predetermined. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime yeah. you throw someone around like that, man, you, you take a beating. Oh, speaking of that um, fake or whatever. Fake or not fake, wasn't 15 the one with that butterbean? Yes, he was the gonna have that fight, all. and it was like it was like a quick knockout with like that was a Bart gun. Yes, <laughs> it was Bart gun and butterbean, and it lasted like 22 seconds. And I remember afterwards, because I mean he was Bart Gun legitimately got knocked out cold. And I remember Butterbean hit him so hard that his head snapped back and then he came forward and he just went down flat. And I remember they kept playing that hit in slow motion over and over again. And it just kept getting worse every time you saw it. <laughs> I wonder if Bob's got any stories about Butterbean. He's got stories about everybody. Oh, I'll have to ask him about that one. That, that guy also after that was in that first Jackass movie when they did uh, in-store boxing, like department store boxing or something. And Butterbean hit Johnny Knoxville and knocked him out. <laughs> I think Johnny Knoxville is supposed to be at the next WrestleMania, too. Oh, uh, he was at the Royal Rumble this year. I saw that, that happened. But, uh, yeah, whatever to get mainstream appeal, you know, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting with me tonight, man. It's been pretty fun. Absolutely, man. And let me know when you're in town. We'll all get together and everything and solve the problems of the music world. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. So, And keep an eye on the calendars for... You know, in the venues out here in town, I'll do the same. And if you see something you want, let me know. I'll see what I can do to help out. Oh, I appreciate it. And um, you guys got some shows coming up too yourself on the calendar, right? 
Yeah, we got a couple we're doing, let me think, April 8th. Uh, we're in Libertyville, Illinois, up there outside of Chicago at Mickey Finn's. And then the next night, the ninth, we're hitting John Brown's on the way home. Yeah, and um, Libertyville, the home of the dancing grandma. <laughs> yes, the dancing grandma, yes. I don't know if she'll be there this time. I think they've kind of tried to to wean her out of showing up, but it's it's an experience. Of It's an experience. I'll give it that. She tries to dance with everybody in the entire place. Yeah, because it was something like she was like she was dancing around. And then I heard from Kenny or like you guys at the next time. Yeah, they actually had to like escort her out of there. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> And the next time we were there, she was there, but her family came with her and kind of kept her a little contained. Oh, okay. But Check. it's, yeah, but it's a, it is a real thing. The dancing grandma is a real thing. <laughs> Man, the dancing grandma and Corey Feldman, because I've had it all. I mean, we, we're at the, we've reached the peak of our career. Move over Rolling Stones. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for chatting. <laughs> absolutely man thank you we'll have to do it again some other time yeah. as well and we'll we'll figure something else out to solve <laughs>